Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wabbo's most nocturnal work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. Yes, uh, and we are back to talk about CineDA 14.6. Yeah. Um, uh, side note, uh, I think tomorrow when this episode comes out, Deep Impact is one year old. Uh, it's been Yay. almost exactly a year since we released our first episode. We're, we're one year old, so we're just old enough to be uh, used as barbatorum bait, so that's fun. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> I actually would not be surprised if he comes back into the story very, very soon, so um, that might hold up. Ah, there we go. It's perfect timing. <laughs> um, yes, let's. Uh, yeah, it's 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 been a fun show, and uh, now we're, we've been doing it for a year. We're officially experts on Pact, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially the ending. That's the bit I know yep. the best. Um, yeah, and obviously, you know, with that in mind, it's about three months until we finish as well. Uh, so, send us any ideas you have for all packed up. Uh, we've already got some great suggestions and. Um, you know, we're just really keen to get everyone as excited as we are about about doing this. Yes, it's going to be so much fun. Should we talk about the tattoos? Oh, um, yeah, I suppose a, a a still being exactly figured out uh donation goal is is getting packed themed tattoos. Is yeah, that, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. still in early days, but that's something that we are thinking about. Yeah, so if we raise enough money for charity, we'll have to get our own little spiritual barometers. <laughs> Oh, I hope mine go better than Blake's. Yeah, I hope mine don't become living. That would be, <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, let's talk about CineDA 14.6. Yeah, good idea. Uh, which opens with uh, Blake trying to negotiate with Mara, who is basically just reveling in her animosity. Yeah, I I love how it, it's it's not that she gives zero fucks or that she gives a whole lot of fucks. She just, this is just sort of all fact to her. Like she's so sort of yeah confident in in where she stands that it's not even like it's an opinion. It's just she has this sort of she, she kind of has this very black and white view of the world in a way. Like she she has it figured out. She knows what is and what isn't. And obviously, living in this forest has allowed her to kind of live that out. So it's correct. Yeah, and it's just this this certainty that would come with being so many thousands of years old like this. Yes, and uh, it, you definitely get the f- the the kind of feeling that her self assuredness is also kind of self fulfilling. Like, um, well, yeah, yeah, the confidence that she displays kind of makes that come to pass in the way that the environment and the spirits in this, uh, you know, Mara domain uh, respond to that. No, she's uh, she's made herself a nice little local maximum of this self fulfilling cycle. Yeah. Um, and, and and yeah, so like, but like this vibe is so cool. I just I couldn't get over how it wasn't that she doesn't care or that she does care. It's that care isn't a factor, um, mm. which I, I don't know if I'm explaining it very well, but it's this like subtle difference that just makes the way she operates so much more calm and and self assured. Um, and I mean, you know, she 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 has this one great line, um, and that's gonna kind of be a recurring theme of this episode is like great lines. Oh yeah, um, there's some this, real good ones in this, <laughs> this chapter. chapter this chapter's chock full of them. Um, but there's one where Blake is like, "I don't want to be your enemy," and she's like, "Yeah, but I want to be yours, and only one of us uh has to decide to be enemies with the other for it to count." Um, which is not only like this hilarious line of logic, but it happens right after Blake starts thinking about Rose. And I couldn't help but tie those two things together. He sort of has some thoughts about Rose and then Mara's like, only one person needs to want to be enemies for it, for you to be enemies. And I was like, I don't like this. 
<laughs> yeah, it's not a good uh, foreshadowing, especially considering <laughs> that Rose becomes active again in this chapter. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. So there's this line where Mara says to Blake, uh, Blake bows to her, and uh, Mara says, don't bow to me, Atawa T. Chim, Atawa T. Sim. Um, and so Googling this word, and this is funny, <laughs> you did the exact same thing I did, which is immediately copy and paste that into Google. And the only hit on Google is this chapter of Pact. So it's <laughs> apparently this word is so old that it doesn't even exist on Google, which is fun. Um, yeah. I, I, I tried to figure out this word, but I couldn't. And then I saw a comment by Bogdanolb in the uh, comments of this chapter saying that they didn't find it in the only dictionary they found, but uh, words starting with Atawa seemed to be related to selling or going, and words ending in Isim or Ichim seem to mean shadow or falling. So putting that together... Uh, it suggests something like falling into the shadows, being sold to the shadows, uh, going to the shadows, um, or, you know, having fallen. Uh, so it it seems to be an on-point descriptor for Blake. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, Bogdanol didn't seem super confident in this interpretation, but, like, I, I think it adds up pretty well. I'm, I'm willing to, until proven otherwise, kind of assume yep. it's probably correct. Uh like, I wonder if, if Wabo has some sort of, like, local library he was going to or, or like, a person, like, or yeah. some sort of resource to help him um, with this stuff because, like, that's an impressive level of detail if he didn't just make up this word but he's managed to, like, get at least a, a semi-genuine um, word like this that doesn't appear on the internet anywhere else. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess we'll never know unless Wabo comments in the Discord or something, but um, yeah, it, it seems to be an original word that is formed in a fairly coherent way, which is nice. Um, yeah. Speaking of words, I, it, Mara's words <laughs> really, they really tangibly change the environment and the atmosphere of this scene. Like, as at the start of the scene, Mara is, you know, basically dishing out apathy um, and the trees respond to it. They, everything becomes more constricting. Even her accent comes in and out depending on the words that she uses uh, more than is normal. Like, it's a really interesting way of the tone of this feeling very oppressive. Yeah, well, I, I love how this sort of, it, the way the chapter kind of opens with this stuff immediately throws us back into what the previous chapter spent so much effort establishing, which is this place is is hers. I'd even argue, like, this is her. I feel like the forest is an extension of Mara, in a way. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how much that distinction matters, but, like, yeah, the the, the point is her will is, is so tangibly felt in this place um, physically and, and emotionally. Like, it, it's, it's really terrifying. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the other thing is, Mara is, she really doesn't, care about playing by the rules or playing fair you know like the the great example is she refuses to give out enough information to people to let them easily contact her because of course she doesn't want to deal with that but then also she'll abuse the fact that they didn't contact her before they came here so she has you know a claim that they've broken convention <laughs> which is such a like abuse of the rule set i love it I, I love this logic where she's like, no, you have to tell me before you come. And they're like, we have no way of contacting you. And she's like, then don't come. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, a perfect little logical trap. Yeah, exactly. She's she's built this great uh, system where basically no one can come and see her and they're at her mercy if they do decide to come. 
this, this chapter really emphasizes yeah. to me how fucking lucky Mags got uh, in Signature. It could have gone a lot worse for her. Yeah, I'm actually surprised it doesn't. It didn't go worse for her based on how terribly this goes for the team. Yeah, yeah, um, I, yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess Mara didn't hate Mags as much as these guys. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, like I don't know. This just fits into that whole vibe of her just like not being willing to even care or really engage yeah. with them on any level. Yeah. She she she's not willing to enter the conversation kind of at all. She is willing to tell them her opinion but not really take any information in the other way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um she also reveals that she's over 24,000 years old, so that's fun. Just a fun little note on exactly how old she could be. <laughs> um yeah, I like I love this cuz we knew that she was hundreds of years old maybe even thousands like we've had hints that she's older than just a couple of hundred years um and now it turns out it's actually tens of thousands which is mm. like awesome really gives her even more of a sense of gravitas like you see this sort of start to affect the characters as they realize it and you're sort of like wow like she's very entrenched here yeah um like i don't know if we've met anything in the story this old except maybe barbatorum yeah. Maybe Ur? I, I don't know. Like I, I don't think Ur is this old. This feels no. too old for Ur. Yeah. It's, yeah, like Barbatorum is the only thing that I think could even maybe come close, and, and I don't even know if I buy that. So Mara is pretty ancient. Maybe um Orneus, the demon that Blake almost summoned in the fight That's with true. the fairy. Well, I mean I, I think well yeah, didn't he put stars in the universe? Like he's gonna yes. be he's gonna be pretty fucking ancient. Um Faisal actually I think was was meant to be pretty ancient. Yeah, so true. yeah. There's this some around, but um Mara Mara's the most human, so it makes her the most scariest. Um yeah. there's also she she manages to fit in a great line about how um she saw the land be, as one of like she she isn't just super old, she was actually like one of the first people to ever set foot yep. here. Yep. And so she saw what the world was like before humans came and like yeah. saw how others evolved to start to emulate human intelligence, which is just really interesting. Like so many characters in this story have talked about um, theories on sort of how others sprout up and all that. And I like this this bit that Mara seems to start to see, which is yeah, more of this idea that humans are really impacting others. Like they yeah. sort of have been since since we evolved. Um yeah. like the the increase in our intelligence led to this increase in intelligence in others as well. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. Uh, it also kind of seeds the idea that others are tied to culture in a way that is stronger than I think we thought. Like mm. it, it it almost sounds like, you know, these uh settlers come over, you know, colonialists come over and they don't just bring their diseases, but they bring they're others as well you know yeah yeah no a hundred percent and it's not just like like i would have thought if that was happening it's just because oh those are others that are native to england that that like you know the colonists brought over with them to the americas and it's like that's partially true but also those others are of that culture they may they may not necessarily be like gaelic um others you know it's it's specifically like you know modern european english others yes exactly Um, yeah, uh, and I mean, yeah, I, I like. I guess I, I want to keep tracking this. I, I like. I, I just love all these sorts of ideas on on how others are a manifestation of what humans have put out into the world. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I could even see something like gods being big spirits. Like you know, if there was a sort of big spirit of, 
I, I don't know, wind in an area, and then humans came and started to worship the wind. That might have given the god intelligence and turned it into a god. Like it may have gone from just yeah. a, a powerful but dumb spirit to an intelligent god thanks to the humans. Yeah, totally. I can see that happening. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, while we're here, I just want to talk about like what Mara, I think, or what we're, what we're starting to do with Mara here in the story. Um, Peter kind of spoils where I was going with this later in the chapter. So thanks, Peter. Um, but uh, let's just talk about it. Like, I think Blake fought the Duchamps, and we talked a lot about how as he was fighting them, he was kind of fighting this ideological standpoint of the current system is the way that we should move forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I feel like Mara represents people who sort of want to go back to the good old days, mm. um, and, and she sort of encapsulates this this idea as someone who is sort of stuck, um, like she thinks because something is older, it, it's it's better. Um, or if it's more natural, it's better. Mm. Um, like she, you know, she so encapsulates this idea. She literally hasn't broken from a routine in like thousands of years. Yeah. Uh, like she eats the same food every day or something she mentions, which is just like, I mean, it's exactly what Peter says. That sounds boring as shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she's missing out on like what's arguably the biggest part of the human experience, which is like feeling stuff and, and, and like the mortality. I mean, this is why others sign up to be familiars is because they want some of that yeah. sweet, sweet human mortality stuff. Uh, and yeah, Mara I love, has, has lost I love that. The way, I love the way Evan puts it, where he just says, oh, you must be glad we're here. And it's <laughs> yeah. such a simple way of phrasing, like, <laughs> oh, well, wow, you must really want company. And like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, she, she represents, I think, this very extreme idea of the viewpoint of oh we need to go back to the way things like were mm. uh and and like it's going to be very interesting to see how blake uh, comes up against this uh just after sort of metaphorically defeating the idea that the system should stay the same yeah it's mara is the regression <laughs> yeah exactly it's interesting um so they're kind of caught in this little word sparring uh, and blake scores a pretty solid hit by saying Hey, guess what? I've died a few times. NBD. I'm way more willing to die than you are. Um, and this is a good point. If if a, I don't know, horrifying one, I guess. <laughs> yeah, his basic thing is is like, hey, if I fight you, we might both die. And I mean, I've got way less to lose than you do. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. It's such a shit argument, but it's also kind of good. Yeah, I, I'm kind of nervous that he's willing to make this argument. That the chip he's willing to play is, well, you'll die too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it feels like the verbal equivalent of Scrappy Blake that we talked yes. about from last chapter. This is just this is him not literally scrapping. Well, not not yet. We'll get mm-hmm. to the end of the chapter. But uh, this is the verbal equivalent of him scrapping. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see how the physical manifestation plays out as well, I guess. Um, yeah. So eventually Blake kind of asks Mara, hey, is there any way you're going to help us? No. Is there any way we can leave without a confrontation? No. Was there any chance of that? No. So it seems like a showdown is inevitable, and now the, the, the situation just turns <laughs> to stalling for time. I love, like, th- this whole bit where Blake, like asks Mara, was there any chance? Sort of starts because Tiffany sort of does her best to be like, "Hey Blake, can you not start fights?" Mm. And Blake manages to sort of point out that's like, "Well, it was always going to happen, so me being confrontational didn't really matter." Which like, yeah, I mean, it sucks because he was right, I guess. 
Um, but like, it's just it just poor Tiff. I mean, that, that's yeah. kind of the vibe we get from Tiffany this chapter. She's just like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, she's a bit over it, I think, which is fair <laughs> enough because, yeah, like this has been <laughs> this this mission couldn't have gone any other way than badly, right? Like it, it was no, set up to fail. That's what we find out here. I, it's just funny because we've talked a lot about how Blake got the the better team than Rose. Yeah, uh, and I think what we've been saying there is the more psychopathic and effective team yeah uh and the exception there is kind of tiff who's just yes. like this 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 poor mostly normal girl who's just trying to deal with like blake peter roxanne and green eyes and now corviday yeah um and deal with all their shit yeah it's you don't want to be the human on this team <laughs> exactly i like how you, you're not counting peter and roxanne no i'm not Thorburns. <laughs> <laughs> <They're> Thorburns, yeah, exactly <laughs> Um, yeah, also another thought I had during this whole section is, as they started talking, is, is Mara even a, a practitioner in, in like the, the modern sense relatively? Like, like I thought, yeah, wasn't the awakening ritual also, as, like the awakening ritual was established by Solomon, like the same, same Solomon who did the seal of Solomon. I think mm. the awakening is different, but it's like he, he started both of those, mm. like, kind of bridge the gap between humans and others and started this whole shebang um but like mara would predate that and i don't really see her uh you know opting into it yeah not not without being forced into it uh which which may have happened mm. but um like I, I don't know it's just interesting like i wouldn't have thought of her as a practitioner in the sense that she did the awakening ritual more as someone who has just become more other through losing yes. her humanity yes um and that's how she got practitionerish powers. But like, like, is there any reason she couldn't lie? For example, yeah, I don't think for the traditional reason. I think for the fact that it would, it, it seems that Mara has done a lot to build weight around her, like yeah. gravitas, you know. And lying would undermine that by kind of reducing the impact of her words. So I, I, I think yeah. it's probably not the same way that lying would. Uh, cause you to be forsworn, but it's functionally the same for Mara. Yeah, it's kind of closer to where Blake is at, where he's not really a practitioner anymore, yes. but he's he's finding uh, he's not just like held to the truth, but he finds that there's power in it. Yes, and I think, making definitive statements that people can put weight behind is important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, I, like I don't think Mara has lied at any point that we've seen, and I think it's kind of like. She she maybe just sort of understands that a lot of her power and part of her routine comes from not lying, but she technically could maybe I don't know. But yeah. It's probably not worth bringing up. I don't think I don't think I'm not expecting her to lie at any point. I was just this is a very technical mechanical question. <laughs> I guess <laughs> yes, we'll see if it comes up. I guess it doesn't seem to this chapter. Um, no. So Mara says uh, that she can be appeased, and she'll even give them the answer to their question, which is, hey, the puppeteer. Um, she can be yeah. appeased if, uh, for each person that gets to leave alive, Blake kills another member of the group. Um, and so Blake seems to accept this and turns towards the group, <laughs> sword at the ready. I love how part of the offer as well is he gets to go if he's the one who does the killing. Yeah. Um, and she says, at no cost. And yeah, Blake so nice. Blake doesn't question that killing half of his group is no cost um <laughs> and i mean like that's really the thing here is i didn't ever believe that blake yes. was going to go through with this no me neither but the rest of the group clearly did <laughs> yeah isn't that funny like even okay so evan 
Evan is the one who's like, um, no, Blake, no. Which, okay, good, we found a line that Evan won't cross. But also, I'm so surprised that Evan just thinks, yeah, he'll probably do it. Yeah. I mean, I think, wait, that, this, is, this is something that Blake does not take the moment to appreciate, which is not a single member of this group at, at any point seems to question that he's going to do it. The only person we don't really hear anything from is Green Eyes. Yeah. Um, who presumably knows she's safe because like you know she's a girlfriend dating, now. yeah yeah um i mean there's one point where he he sort of threatens to kill her like alongside corviday and i guess we don't hear from green eyes so i kind of hoping she was just you know knowing that he was bluffing at yes. that point because she knows him so well yes. otherwise he's going to be in trouble and he should be um <laughs> he'll be in the doghouse yeah um but like like just it, it, like almost nobody in this group questions that blake is going to go ahead with this and he doesn't take that for the wake-up call it maybe should be yeah i i actually think because it's not you have to kill four people right because mm. there's corviday the main ad and the satyr so really all it is is will you <laughs> kill one of your group and framing it that way i think it's a lot easier to see why blake might go for it yeah that's true um because i mean the satyr and the main ad there's a bit where blake is like did they think i thought they were expendable and i say like, do you not like yeah I, I obviously <laughs> they are <laughs> um yeah you're right and like you know especially with green eyes having the potential to maybe come back like you know you could see this actually working out yeah um n- well no not working out but not being well completely terrible i don't um, know it's the hyena right well he could just like kill her with not the hyena yeah um, um, he doesn't have to kill everything with the hyena. I mean, yeah, like, I I'm telling that to Blake as much as to you. Like, there, are no, yeah. there are other ways to kill stuff. I, I love how Blake uses this as like, well, I'm going to kill Corviday then, obviously. And mm. it's such a great calling of, of Mara's kind of bluff. Um, yes, yeah. It's perfect. Um, and when Corviday's defending himself, there's this interesting moment. I won't read out the full thing, but basically Corviday uses tone and word that reminds Blake of when he turned on Pordrick in the kind of showdown with the uh, Duchamps. And Blake kind of thinks, wait, has he, was he there? Is he t- now, the quote is, was he teasing me in the same breath he was asking me to justify myself? And this is so funny. It's such a good mindfuck yeah. because, of course, this is too weird of a coincidence for this not to be what Corviday is doing, right? Well, yeah, and because we know from Pordrig's interlude that yes, Corviday, that Corviday was, was there. there. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I think I think we're very much meant to buy into to this idea, which I I, de- I definitely did. It, what like what the fuck is Corviday up to? Like, it's <laughs> such a it's such a like six levels of manipulation tactic. Yeah, well, I mean, this is why the fairy looked up to him in the Pordrig interlude, right? Because yeah. he's such a fucker. He just, yeah, <laughs> just he's Classic. just. In, I think he just enjoys fucking with these guys on top of like trying to hurt. Like he doesn't yeah. just want to hurt them. He wants to, you know, make pain them as much as possible. And this is just an extra way he can do that by <laughs> seeding this idea in Blake. Yes, which is great. Um, so of course Corviday is in danger now. So Peter, his best friend, has to try something. Um, and and Peter's argument is basically that the Thorburn are such a negative force on the world that Mara should be happy with them and let them live kind of free of charge, just because they will fuck everything up around them. I mean, it's not the worst argument, to be honest. Like, I feel like people have made similar arguments b- before in yeah. the story. Like, it's 
I, I, there's merit to the argument. Yeah, it's a bold play. Um, and Tiffany has this funny reaction where uh, Blake is thinking on Peter's argument and thinks, refuge in audacity, refuge in repugnancy. And Tiffany just mutters, I wish I'd gone with Rose's group. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like as we were already sort of talked about a bit, there are a number of great zingers in this chapter. Um, one we just skipped over is there's a bit where Blake first approaches Corviday, and Corviday sort of turns to Evan and he's like, "Are you just going to watch him do this to me?" And Evan just responds, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like yep. horrifying because you know we touched a lot on uh, Evan's crumbling uh, sense of murder being wrong. Um, yeah, but that... in, in this case, I'm kind of all for it because Corviday is a piece of shit. That that implies that even Corviday is surprised at how uh, amoral yeah. Evan has become. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so, uh, the fight basically breaks out at this point, right? Mara's, uh, limitless patience has run out and she, uh, initiates the fight by snapping a, f- a, a twig, which brings in her flock of birds. Um, and they basically block out all the light and with that it's on. Yeah. Um, and I, I love, I love how this is, this scene is set up. Like it, it's written so well, it, it feels very cinematic. Mara doesn't even move and the forest just comes to life. And this hits us so much yeah. more because we've been getting reminded between bits all throughout this chapter and the previous ones of how still everything is because of this time loop. Like, like even just the fact that there's normal background forest noise is sort of meaning that there's a problem. And now it's like not just background forest noise, but it quickly escalates from there to howling wind, howling swarms of birds. It's like uh, it, it just it, it really sets this awful chaotic tone. Yeah, yeah, it really, yeah, it becomes so chaotic so quickly, which I, mm. I actually really love. Like, I love that chaotic vibe. Yeah, uh, like the the technique that sort of happens where there's no light, um, but Peter and Roxanne are trying to light the matches. So every 10 to 20 seconds, Blake gets this quick glimpse of the battlefield. And yes. There's always something fantastic that we get out of that. It's yes, great. It's so good. Um, there's this bit right before the fight breaks out where Tiffany says, that these birds aren't actually enhanced by magic, or not to the extent that we think they are. Mara just has a lot of time to train birds to be her attack birds, <laughs> which is so fucking weird. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm still under the impression they're a little bit mm. magic, but like, yeah, it's um, you're right. It's it's that sort of it's both thing that you get with Mara, where she's slightly magically enhancing stuff, but also she's just been able to put the time in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um. And there's one other thing that I noticed, which is, and I, I don't know how intentional this is, but it just kind of has happened that the teams here now are, um, you know, this foresty spirit uh, crone and a bird man, which is basically Blake, the forest tree guy, <laughs> and Evan, the bird boy. Like, Mara and Corvide are kind of the adult version of, of uh, Blake and Evan, which I find very interesting. <laughs> I love this. Like, that's... That's the weirdest parallel, but it it works <laughs> yeah, very well. Like I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I, maybe I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to do with it, but I love it. Well, you kind of talked about Blake took down the Duchamps as the as the kind of you know representative of uh, keep the current system, try and improve it, and now Mara is another avenue, which is go back to the good old days. And I think mm. the stronger the parallel between Blake and Mara is, the the more that lands with Blake as the opposition of go back to the good old days being, you know, fuck the system, make a new one. Um, yeah. I, I think another possible contrast here is Blake is the, 
you know, Blake is the symbol for, hey, you guys are the adult version of us. Like, I think it's pretty unambiguously clear that Mara and Corfidae are more powerful in every way than Blake and Evan, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but the real the real reason that Blake and Evan have a chance here is because of connections, because of allies, because of, you know, because of them trying to improve the system. And I think that's the juxtaposition that we make here is you guys are more powerful, but we have friends, we have connections, and so we're going to fuck you up. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Because, and, I, and again, like, especially in Mara's case, Mara is very powerful, but she's also trapped. Like, if she wanted to leave this forest, she's completely fucked. Yes. Um, and, and, I mean, I think that's a representative of, of this ideology she stands for, is that, like, she she's just as trapped and as stuck as yep. she is powerful and, yeah. um, like, uh, no, she's not happy because she's, she's just kind of is. She's I nothing. she has yeah, emotions exactly. anymore. Yeah. Exactly. It, it's, it's interesting. And, and I think that's more of what we can take out of this, is Mara has... Mm. Mara is a perfect example of what's great about the old system, but also what is terrible about it. Yeah, well, she shows kind of the the end goal of a lot of this, like, min-maxing type stuff. She she min-maxed this one particular way of doing it, and yes, like, she's very powerful in some ways, but she's also just, like, she, her, her life is sort of without meaning now, and she yeah. can't go anywhere. She's just, it's such an empty existence in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, Although she did find Corvidae. I mean, I think that's the interesting wrinkle in, in, in all that stuff I've been saying. Like, because Corvidae is kind of the same. We saw uh, briefly that he's kind of emotionless in his own way as well. And, uh, you know, Mara's lack of humanity or lack of modern humanity or whatever we're calling it at the moment is challenged a few times. And I think her relationship with Corvidae is probably going to be one of the best angles to attack this because mm. uh, assuming that the ring of hair Corvidae had on his finger symbolizes marriage which again using a ring for marriage seems very western i, I don't know enough about mm. indigenous canadians to know if that was a thing there as well but like just mm. the fact that she's connected to someone like this kind of breaks that pattern and i think undermines her point a little bit and i'll be interested to see where that goes yeah yeah interesting hmm. we'll see i suppose um so in this fight uh we see corviday is about to stab green eye but blake warns her um and there's a little scuffle where Blake goes to stab Corvidae with the hyena, but is stopped by Mara, uh, much stronger than she appears. Um, Corvidae then does a little trick on Blake, swapping out the hyena for a doll. So I think, because it took me until like the third time reading this to process it, I actually think Mara is the one that stops the hyena, and that's sort of why they end up standing next to each other. Yes, Mara grabs Blake's hand as he's going to stab Corvidae. Yeah, yeah, and sort of blocks it. Um... You know, no, nobody, nobody attacks her hubby, um, and <laughs> I can't believe we're now at the point where I'm sad that we've lost the hyena. I've actually kind of grown attached to this stupid piece of crap sword, yes. Um, and I'm, I'm sad that, like, I'm assuming now that it's been corvidated, it's, it's no longer owned by Blake, uh, in the spiritual sense. Mm. So I don't, I don't know that he's going to get it back this time, and I don't like that. And I, well, I hate that I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I just want, I guess, touch on one more time. I really like this fight and how chaotic it is. Like, it's a really fun vibe to have kind of bits of action that you don't know enough to contextualize until a few paragraphs later when it all kind of quiets down and you see where everything is after the dust settles. I think it makes for mm. a really fun way to experience a fight through the perspective of Blake. And I yeah. just love it as a technique. Yeah, the the way we get light every couple of seconds, and so he has to reassess the battlefield and like just charge in a direction. 
um, then like you, you couldn't quite capture this in film or at least I can't think of a way that you could. Mm. Yeah. Kind of the shaky camera moves is I guess the closest you get, but that just becomes like uneasy. It makes you uneasy rather than like trying to piece things together nicely. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah, uh, Mara now has the hyena and, uh, she seems pretty confident that she's basically won this scuffle pretty handily. And she's, mean, she has. <laughs> yes. And she starts making a bit of a pompous speech to, to close it out. But uh, suddenly she gets shot and the camera pans over and Rose is there with the, the uh, with shotgun and the Knights of the Basement, which is so great. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Especially because, like, I think the bit that really just made this for me was how Blake is like, oh, the cavalry. I mean, it's Rose. So that's not great. Mm. And her group's bigger than mine, which yeah. is like totally unfair. Yeah. Um, but like I suppose it's good we're being saved. Like it's just he can't he can't just be happy that Rose has shown up to save him. He has to inject these thoughts of like yeah. oh, this isn't ideal, but it'll do Yeah, she's like, she just yeah, saved, she saved us. Shut but up. also <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's kinda like he he's he's upset that she is undermining the delicate balance of power between them when she just stopped him from being killed, <laughs> yeah. which definitely would have done more to the balance of power. I don't know. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly. I'm so happy that Shotgun and the Knights are here. Like, I genuinely was cheering. <laughs> it's so great. I mean, me too. But also, no, get out. What are you, what are they doing here? Get out of here. This place is not the place to be. Yeah, get haven't they had away. enough lordship squabbles? Um, I mean, okay, actually, no. Tell us everything about Toronto and what's going on there and then get out. That's yeah. what I want to see happen. Sure. Like, I'm wondering if maybe them being here is, is going to finally be our insight into what's happening in Toronto and things will be as terrible there as I've been suspecting. Because uh, that would just, I don't know why, but that would just make the whole Jacob's Bell feel, thing feel even more like a shit show that it's like spread to Toronto like prematurely and Toronto yeah. is also a mess. It's just the whole region has been destabilized. We were so worried about what's yep. going on in Jacob's Bell, but it turns out like half of Ontario is just a shit st- shit show right now. Yeah, Blake has really just fucked up everywhere that he's been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so Rose and her gun-toting practitioners in tow uh, mean that Blake is pretty confident now, um, and uh, they they turn to Corviday to get him out of the running, but before they can shoot him, he pulls out a Conquest's hand mirror. Yeah, and, and so like I know you've got another uh, fantastic zinger, or not a zinger, but a, a funny line you want to read. But mine comes just before it, so I'm going to jump in and do mine. Um, which is when Rose is like, "Did did Mara tell you uh, whether she's the puppeteer?" And Mara's like, "I'm not gonna." Mm-hmm. And then Blake goes, "Corviday can comment," uh, and he glances to where Corviday's standing, and uh, Corviday just responds, "I can allow me to consult my notes," <laughs> which is just. Like I, you know, he he really does feel like a kind of fairy plus plus at times. And this yes. is one of them. Like, this is just such an asshole thing to say. I love it. Yeah, he's a real jerk. Um, I I love the way this chapter ends. Right, because Rose is there with the guns, and they look towards Corviday and uh, shoot him. I shouted, but Corviday was already drawing something from his jacket, a hand mirror bound in paper. Don't shoot him! I shouted. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great way to end the chapter. Not just because it's hilarious, but also Conquest's hand mirror being in Corvidae's possession has been yes. set up for a long time. Well, and like this is as if this situation wasn't already enough of a clusterfuck. That mirror coming into it just takes it up another few notches. Yeah, I can't wait for this next chapter. Like there are so many pieces in play in this scene right now. 
like this is going to be yeah. a clusterfuck and I can't wait for it. Yeah, um, but that brings us to the end of Sin ADA 14.6, uh, except we wanted to do a little bonus bit, dive into some history of some stuff. Um, Elliot, do you want to talk about this? Yeah, um, so, so uh, I, we're going to do a bit on the original like migration of like humans into Canada, um, you know, because obviously that sort of came up a bit with Mara, and this is a bit of an obsession of mine. I love reading about like ancient human migration. Um, in fact, I'm just going to pre-apologize for how long this might end up being. <laughs> it's a real wall of text here. You guys can't see this, but it's uh, it's it's <laughs> it really puts the deep in deep in back. <laughs> yeah, this uh, I I just love this stuff, and I maybe went a bit far uh, researching it, but uh, I had a lot of fun, and and hopefully it that will come across in uh, this bit. So, um, yeah, I mean, so so to get started, I just I just do want to preface this by saying like a lot of this early human migration stuff is kind of you know rough like there's not always huge amounts of scientific evidence for all of it like we get scattered sites and stuff yeah um like it was only two years ago that they realized that um australian like indigenous australians had arrived sixty five thousand years ago not fifty thousand so you know it's like even now we're still getting you know fairly substantial changes in our understanding of when human populations sort of migrated across the world um mm. but there's sort of two current camps of, of theories as to when, like, the Americas were, were reached by humans. Um, the first and kind of the bigger one is, is the short chronology theory, which is basically probably what most people would be familiar with, which is this idea that around 19,000 years ago, uh, there was the, the land bridge between Alaska and uh, Russia uh, that was called Bering- uh, Beringia. And basically some people settled on that sort of during the Ice Age. And then as the Ice Age started to dwindle, uh, they were able to cut through like the glaciers in Alaska and make mm. it to the Americas. Um, but all of that was happening like fourteen to 19,000 years ago. Um, and that's where like most of the evidence of cultures in the Americas that's been found is is from that period. So it, it really adds up. Like we're, we're almost like, I'd almost go so far as to say we're basically sure that People were in Beringia, and then when the ice melted, they they moved into the Americas. Mm. But, but obviously, like that's in fact. Side note: they're actually in Beringia. Well, most theories now are actually that the the people went and settled in Beringia, and they were there for about ten thousand years, and then they went wow. into the Americas. Yeah. Um. And so that's like they actually genetically sort of separated from Asians and Siberians ten thousand years before they even got to Americas. Uh, the Americas, mm. which is. Fun little side note. But anyway, obviously, none of this really applies to Mara because yeah. this is all 19,000 years ago tops. And Mara pretty well establishes that she's probably 25,000 years or, or older. Yes. Um. So so this is sort of where what they call the pre-LGM, which is the last glacial uh, melt uh, theories come in, uh, which are all the theories about how people might have reached the Americas before like 20, 22,000 years ago. Mm. And um, to be honest, like, there's not really much here. There's some sites that have fairly conclusive evidence, but they're in, like, very, very northwest, like, Alaska, to the point where I'd kind of just say it was Beringians who just went a bit far, mm. um, rather than people properly colonizing the Americas mm. um, in any sense of just sort of tipping onto the continent a little bit. Um so, so there's actually not really much conclusive evidence uh, these days for people having been 
in the Americas pre-19,000 years ago. Um, but there is actually a lot of, well, sorry, not a lot. There's, there's, there's some evidence that comes from genetic studies which show that some people in some areas of Brazil and, and some other places have quite Australasian uh, genetic features in mm. their DNA. Um, and so like, like that, and the Australasian there is sort of a broad term for people, not just like in indigenous Australians, but like New Guineans as well. And also the, the Melanesians who went out to like Fiji and, you know, like all, all sorts of those Polynesian cultures that are obviously very gifted sailors. Um, and so there's these theories that those cultures might've sailed, um, up the coast of Asia. And then sort of when the Beringa Strait was sort of still, cut off from the Americas by the glaciers in Alaska, they might have been able to sail around them and they could have reached the Americas earlier. Right. Um, just through their nautical skills, basically. Mm. Um, it, it, but this is sort of tough to say. There's, there's actually probably the more scientifically valid theory at this point is that, yes, that happened. There were cultures from that area who sailed up Asia and then across and, and down to the Americas, but they probably actually most likely did it when the people were also crossing via land as well, just because <laughs> of the way the ice all went. Um, there, there's not really a huge amount of evidence for this happening pre-25,000 years ago. Mm. But that being said, there also wouldn't be much evidence because if these were mostly coastal people, back then the coasts were like much further down. And so right. that's that's all now like, you know, like 20, 30 meters underwater. There's no archaeological sites because these people were like you know very nautical and they're on the coast that no longer exists so there are, there just isn't evidence to support them but there they shouldn't be yeah well i guess now that we have some first-hand evidence from mara we can actually say <laughs> yeah. definitively that it was <laughs> pre-lgm so that's nice yeah and i mean okay so th- so that's the thing i i actually think like i i think you can sort of make the case that you think people had done that sailing across pre um, the LGM and 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 people won't won't say you're crazy. The thing that gets me though is these were very nautical people who sort of stuck to the coast and didn't drift inland that mm. much. Although obviously they did eventually. But Mara's from o- Ontario, so it's kind of like apparently sort of her parents and her didn't just jump off the boat but trekked across the entire continent mm. in in sort of her lifetime. Is it confirmed that she that she and her parents? moved across or is this could she have done this at a later point like lived in ontario for however long and then started trekking over as she became immortal i mean that's that's possible um the i'd have to go back and reread it the way it was phrased gave me the impression that she sort of settled in ontario with her parents and has been there ever since yeah um and that's obviously like I don't know. Like I was, I was just like I don't know how likely it is. Not knowing these cultures, not knowing that anyone can know these cultures, that um, a small group might just ditch the boats that they travelled on for generations and just sort of trek thousands of miles or hundreds of miles inland. Um, so clearly, I, and I'm just going to say it right now, I don't think Pact is is realistic. Whoa, whoa! <laughs> Let's not go that far. Maybe Mara can lie. That's the explanation. And she chose <laughs> yeah. to lie about um, not being nine million days old, being actually whatever six million, five million days old. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like you know, the thing is, is it's definitely possible. Um, it works very well in the story, so it doesn't at all matter. Um, yeah, like I, I had a lot of fun diving into into this stuff, and hopefully, everyone didn't mind listening to me just <laughs> talk, like lecture everyone on it for about ten minutes. I found it fun, so that's what matters. Okay.
<laughs> well, that's the end. That's the end. Yes, uh, and as it, as it, that's the end of our history lesson, it's also the end of our episode. Um, thank you for joining us for this very special, almost anniversary episode. Uh, remember, for the end of the year, we are actually doing a Q and A. So, if you want to leave us some questions for us to answer, uh, you can do so in our discussion threads, which will be linked down in the show notes down below. Uh, yes, uh, you can also leave us any thoughts you have on all packed up stuff yes. you want us to do. Um, yep. stuff you think would be fun, uh, a- anything yep. and everything you, you think would get you excited for all packed up. Yeah. That's we, what we want to hear about. We want to be a community, uh, live stream, a community 24 hour <laughs> fundraiser. So whatever you'd, whatever tortures you'd like to, you know, have us perform on ourselves, uh, <laughs> leave them in the discussion thread. Uh, yes. Uh, the other way you can reach us is on Twitter at MediaMD Podcast. It's mm-hmm. where you find the live reads that, um, obviously out of sync with these episodes now by a fair way. Uh, yep. So Whoops. consult the Doof Media website, doofmedia.com. There's a calendar page on there. That'll make it clear exactly where I'm up to relative to the episodes. Yep, and while you're consulting doofmedia.com, why not take a look at all the other great shows on the Doof Media Network, uh, such as the Doofcast, which actually is about mm. to release an episode that I think we're both featuring on, uh, the roundup yeah. of the best movies of 2020. I or, mean, sorry, twenty. Decade. Yeah, sorry, I got it wrong. No, yeah, we're already walking in the best movies of twenty twenty. Um, <laughs> yeah, we know what it's going to be. It's Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Yeah, so no, assuming our bits didn't get cut, which um, you know, I have very hot takes. If so they did, it, it's possible. Um, guys, let's re- revolt. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll take it over while yeah. uh, Scott and Matt take a Christmas break. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, and, you know, if if, if you want to support us or Scott and Matt, you know, whoever comes out at the end of this revolt, um, you can head, head over to patreon.com forward slash doofmedia and uh, support either empire there. Yes. Um, actually, if you want to become a patron of doofmedia, you can go to patreon.com slash doofmedia. And now is a great time because um, while a lot of other places might wind down for Christmas, we're actually ramping up our Patreon-only content for Christmas. Uh, we're doing 12 days yeah. of incredible uh, articles and content um, every day for 12 days on the lead up to Christmas, which is insane. Um, and, well, I don't... and in fact, when, when this episode comes out, there's going to be about four of those Yeah, about like three or four days in. So I've yeah. done one. Uh, in fact, may, my second one might also be out by now. I can't remember when my second <laughs> one comes out. But um, There's a bunch of cool content on there that is accessible to patrons at the... What is it, $10 and up level? Is that right? Honestly, I'm not sure exactly where those articles are going. Um, <laughs> but if you go to Patreon, you'll find them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you don't see them on Patreon, just keep increasing your donation dollar <laughs> by dollar until you do see them. Well, now what we've got to do is, is we just won't release them and we'll see how many people go right up. <laughs> All the way up to 300 a month. <laughs> uh, we're not going to do that, just, no. just in case. I'm anyone. pretty sure they're at the $10 level, but uh, if not, yeah. maybe there's something else. I don't know. Look, if this is all too complicated for you uh, and you want something simple, head to patreon.com forward slash Wabo. Here's a very simple system. You give him any amount of money, he keeps writing. Yep. Uh, and then and then we all win. So patreon.com forward slash Wabo. Give him whatever you can afford. Yes. Um, and thanks. Thanks for being with us for this past year. Thanks for becoming patrons. Thanks for uh, enjoying Pact. Thanks for bringing Pact back to everyone's attention so much that I'm pretty sure this show has had an impact on the the decision of Wabo to get back into this space with some of the bonus stuff he's done for Do the Right Thing and stuff like that. So um, it's been a fun ride and uh, yeah, it shall continue to be for another few months. 
yes, I'm enjoying this story so much, and uh, I can't wait to to see it to the end. Yeah. Um, and I guess we will see you for our next episode, which is CineADA 14.7, and that will be coming out on Friday the 20th of December. So we'll see you then. See ya. See ya.